Welcome to Chit Chat Stocks. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer analyze businesses and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Stocks is a CCM Media Group podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Stocks by Ryan, Brett, or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in to Chit Chat Stocks. My name is Brett Schaefer, and as always, joined by my good friend, Ryan Henderson. We are live on YouTube for the Investing Power Hour number 99. So next week, we've got to do something special to commemorate number 100. But Ryan, we're going to get started today. And it has been a fun week. I think my first question for you, besides welcome to the show, as always, NVIDIA approaching a market cap of $2 trillion. Are you calling the top? Is NVIDIA finally overvalued? Yes, and I will give you a very definitive answer after I quickly talk about our friends at Public. You might know Public.com as the all-in-one investing platform. Now they've launched options trading, and with it, they're doing something no brokerage has ever done before. Public is sharing 50% of their options trading revenue directly with you, the customer, so whenever you trade options on public, you get something back. And of course, there are no commissions or per contract fees either. By sharing 50% of their options revenue, you'll know exactly how much they take from your options trade because public is literally giving you half of it. In other words, it's a more transparent approach to options with no fees and you get something back on every single trade. So go to public.com and activate options trading by March 31st to lock in your lifetime rebate. This is paid for by public investing. You must activate options account by March 31st for revenue share. Options are not suitable for all investors and carry significant risk. Full disclosures are in the podcast description, US members only. Okay. Is NVIDIA Ryan, overvalued? Wait, one, one, one tease before I see we are live on YouTube. This will be fixed for the people listening after or watching on YouTube after, but for some reason, the new streaming software we are using to record everything has just puts the title as the previous episode, which I'm not exactly sure. I think I'll try to change that midstream for anyone. This is Investing Power Hour number 99. You are not watching a replay. But Ryan, continue as I try to change that and then tweet out the links to everything. I have absolutely no idea whether NVIDIA is overvalued. My gut says yes, but... My gut said that a trillion dollars in market cap ago. So what you know, what does that matter? The the thing I find interesting is like this is probably the biggest business I don't care about. The not that not that I don't care, but I don't think I have much of an advantage in in terms of like informationally, um I don't think I know the business very well. I don't know the industry that well. And so it's one where it could be worth $10 trillion. And I'm still like, I still don't understand necessarily whether or not it has some major lasting competitive advantage where it's totally impregnable. It can't be stopped. And there's no competitor that could get to what they've done. I really don't know it well enough. So yeah, my, I think my gut reaction anytime a stock, what, 5Xs in a matter of a year is it has to be overvalued, but 
so far I've been wrong all along the way. I haven't been shorting it or anything like that, but this report was pretty remarkable. I'll pull up a graphic. I'll let you talk for a second here, but I want to pull up a graphic that I made. I'm, I'm getting good with Canva, so I'm, I'm really proud of these little graphics, and I'll show, show it here in a second. But what do you think of the quarter? Well, my psychological long is doing quite well. No, kidding, kidding. But pretty impressive stuff, and it's hard. Like I've had, I guess, some takes like everyone has, or a lot of people have had that NVIDIA – is possibly over earning given the margin expansion they've had, but it's impossible to tell how much longer they can ride this boom. I don't think anyone has any good predictions here. The uncertainty is just huge and it has turned into as Tesla was with obviously a little, maybe not as good fundamentals during that time period. Uh, into a bit of a trading sardine where the popularity among individual investors is enormous. The popularity among options trading is enormous. And that is going to lead to more volatility, almost assuredly. But is NVIDIA going to continue growing these earnings as Ryan was showing? I, I don't think there's any good reason. Just because we don't know how big this current AI boom is going to be and whether they have the moat that can retain the market share they have with these AI services versus the competitors like Intel, AMD, perhaps Sam Altman's venture, stuff, stuff like that. There's so many variables out there that I think anyone that tells you, hey, you know, it's time to get long NVIDIA or it's time to get short NVIDIA at this price, I think there i think you're kind of flipping a coin yeah 100 percent. the the growth rate is staggering and obviously the growth rate has to slow down but i think you raise a good point which is like maybe we were totally wrong my my prediction was that we were in an ai bubble or hype cycle and maybe there were some long-term implications for it but if this proves not to be a bubble and that every company is spending on these AI models because they really increase the value of their service, then NVIDIA is probably early innings here, but they grew revenue 265% year over year, $22 billion, I think, in revenue for the quarter. It's pretty staggering. Um, you can just see the massive acceleration over the last year. Uh, I would, my like I said, my gut tells me this is not going to be an outperforming stock over the coming years. It is bigger than Amazon officially. It is bigger than the entire Chinese stock market combined. Uh, it's probably bigger <laughs> than a lot of things. But chart crimes, though the GDP comparisons. Let's go, guys. Not not the same, uh, I, I would say. If we're going to capitalize GDP numbers, maybe. But those comparisons are always flawed. But I thought it was interesting. The Chinese stock market totally bonded, bonded out. Here's a good question. What performs better? I think it's either the Hong Kong or the Shanghai index. Uh, either or. What performs better over the next decade? NVIDIA or one of those ind indices? That's interesting. I'm not particularly 
optimistic about either. The it, yeah, what's also interesting is that Nvidia, I believe, had a huge slowdown in their China revenue because uh, there was government restrictions from the U.S. around uh, them selling there that much there. So it's kind of they're kind of at odds with one another right now. The maybe the Chinese the the Hong Kong stock exchange or the stocks traded on it, the stock market in general will be slow because they don't have as much access to Nvidia's chips so they can't innovate as fast or something. I don't know. The Well, I also I would yeah, probably there's... pick I'd probably pick the China's frankly I'd pick the Chinese stock market, I think. Just purely yeah. betting on like if we just ignore the regime uh or the government there purely like mean reversion which i've been wrong on for the longest time but everyone seems to be bullish on chinese equities it seems like yeah and yet the, the prices still keep going down I, yeah i agree with you i like neither it's an interesting question though one more though on the old nvidia is does this company at some point oh actually let me change it from just a comparison to apple does nvidia at any day in 2024 have the largest market cap of any company in the world is currently number three only two ahead apple and microsoft with about a trillion dollars i believe give or take i think it's possible it's certainly possible that would be quite insane and Kindig, Kindig I want to take right. a, yeah hey. I want to take a second to give a shout out to Beth Kindig who I don't know if she could have foreseen this AI bubble whatever you want to call it coming but in 2021 she wrote that in 5 years Nvidia will have a bigger market cap than Apple and everyone called her absolutely crazy there's a chance there is a chance that that looks right because she's got till what 2026 to make that happen I think if it does happen it will be helped by Apple's stock price coming down, actually, as opposed Which to is, just NVIDIA soaring. Yeah, it's Apple stock has struggled a little bit this year. That is correct, I think. I read something on that. I don't follow it too closely. All right, we got some questions. People are joining in. For anyone that is a first-time listener or is unaware, we do these live on Thursdays at about 12.30 p.m. Eastern time. So if you want to join, have any questions for us? We talk anything in the investing world. We might say we don't know anything about your question, but you can ask away and maybe get us to do a certain topic. But we have some questions in here. Thank you for everyone joining. Do you guys have any takes on Blackstone, KKR, private equity companies? I think my only take on that is the that higher interest rates for longer. Don't know whether that's going to happen. But I'd say under that scenario, I think these companies struggle more than people are expecting. Uh, other than that, what's the rationale there? Well, it's just, just the higher cost. To, yeah, yeah, exactly. To to perform these deals, they were in, regardless of how well they executed, they were in an ideal interest rate environment over the last, say, post GFC. Do I think that changes their? Funding inflows, no, and that's what's going to matter at the end of the day as long as they don't act incredibly stupid. 
Um, I remember the- we talked about KKR once, and they had some decent exposure to China with something like ByteDance, stuff like that, which I would be a little bit concerned about. But on the whole, that's the only thing that I'd factor in. I don't, I don't like those type of companies where I invest in asset managers. Just not my cup of tea. Right. like gatherers more so than anything else. Gatherers, yeah. 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 It's yeah. It's I've been blown away by their ability to collect assets over the last year or not over the last year, certainly over the last year, but over the last decade. I mean, they, they are perhaps it's because they don't have to mark their book down as much. So when, and a, a lot of attracting capital is selling past performance. So if you don't have to mark it down, you can potentially say like, oh, well, we've actually performed better than the index right now in these tough times. So here's another reason for you to add capital. I do think, and I'm not I'm not totally sure how all these deals work out, but I think they could probably shift more to, because there's usually a lot, lot of levered buyouts here. And I assume they could kind of reduce the leverage that they use in some of these buyouts and shift it more towards like funding from investors would be my guess uh, with interest rates rising. But yeah, no, no doubt the interest rates will probably hurt them a little bit or at least slow them down. I think these businesses will just continue to collect capital and collect fees. The one thing I've learned probably over the last, I don't know, five years, really probably last three years since we started like trying to manage money on our own, these endowments have unlimited capital to give to allocators like a KKR and like a Blackstone. So it wouldn't be surprised me. It would not surprise me if they continue to grow. I agree. Okay. Other questions. Will you be following the booking report this afternoon? Yes. I'm interested in that in relation. Um, I saw there was a great write-up update from our friend at the TSOH Investing Research Service on Airbnb. And I think if you follow booking, you should be looking at Airbnb. If you follow Airbnb, which we do, we don't own it, um, but it's one of my watch lists. You need to be following booking as well because there are, eh, I wouldn't, probably a duopoly at this point. Don't want to put too much hate on NVIDIA, but, or excuse me. Expedia. That was a funny. That was a that was a funny slip there. I don't think Nvidia is getting into to OTAs. Other question that I think is more interesting. So, I love this honest comment from Mark. It says, "Hey chaps, loving the show as ever. Thank you. Uh, bad week for Teladoc has my position down eighty nine percent. I have a buy and hold forever strategy, but this is really testing it. Sensible decision is to cut losses, right? Okay. Do interesting question. I follow the stock price and the earnings headlines. I think it's a fun one to look at kind of the COVID boom stocks, Zoom, Roku, Teladoc, all those block slash square. And this is an interesting one. I, I, you know, I appreciate the comment because not any investor out there, like there's not a single investor that's not going to have a big dog every once in a while. Buffett invested in IBM, for example. That was a you know, not the end of the world of a mistake, but, you know, a bad mistake. Even the best out there are going to have bad investments. And I think this commenter 
is following the David Garner style. And it says, hey, look, should I cut my losses and, you know, just go for something else? With that sort of style, now David Gardner takes it to the extreme and says, I'm never going to sell stuff. But I think in reality, when you're an individual investor, it probably works to just take the the tax write-off if you're not interested in the company anymore and just kind of look at those each year. I I forget what the exact number is you get every year for the the, uh, offsets. But I'm explaining this bad, poorly, but in a vacuum, it shouldn't really matter because Excellent. if you have a position that, you know, you have your basket of portfolio and you kind of let them ride, some will turn into huge positions if they do quite well, but the losers will basically become irrelevant over time. And it's really no different from selling. But with especially people in the United States, you can get that tax write off. So if you have those, I'd, I'd recommend doing that if you don't want to own it anymore. But if you're going to really run the David Gardner strategy, maybe psychologically, kind of that never sell stuff could fit because when you go through that, the losses are going to be there basically either way. It doesn't truly matter that much at this point if in, if Teldot goes down another 50%, right? As long as the biggest mistake, we've done it before, is averaging we down still do it. so much, is to average down so much into, into a big loser whose uh, business is not doing well. Yeah, I don't really have a take on Teladoc just because I haven't followed it closely at all uh my only advice would be as much as you can try to ignore your returns to date like don't don't worry about your cost basis just worry about teladoc as an opportunity against the rest of the rest of the stocks in your portfolio or the rest of the stocks in your kind of wheelhouse and just say do i want to invest in teladoc today versus the rest of the investments i like if it's not screaming at you when it's down 90%, my gut would say find something else and probably not average down here. Um, but yeah, like I said, don't follow it very closely. And Tyler mentions here, Gardner sizes appropriately for a never sell strategy. Yeah, if you're going to do that, you got, you're going to have home runs in 10 years, hopefully, that are not four run home runs, but potentially... 50 run home runs uh, if, if things really work out. But you're also going to, people aren't going to talk about the ones that are big misses, right? Strikeouts where they could go to zero. So, you know, it definitely size appropriately. Not everyone's going to end up like an NVIDIA. In fact, most of them will not. So definitely, I think, probably start small with positions like that. Yep, I agree. All right. Booking. We got some other Do comments. We talk we might... a little more. Sorry. Do you want to talk a little more about booking or no? The earnings are out. I've soured a little bit. Yeah. I'd recommend reading, listening to Ryan's sh- uh, show that he did or well, we did together, but he was the one that led that episode. I'd say let's wait for the earnings to come out before we give a full discussion, but I'm definitely looking forward to that one today. I'm looking forward to Carvana's good old psychological short. I'm sorry. I won't. I won't have that joke too many times. Uh, that's a little bit of an inside joke for the FinTwit crowd, but uh, I'm very interested in reading that one because that one has been an enigma and just a wild company that is extremely aggressive. We have some other comments I might want to hit later, but the one topic I wanted to discuss this week, and you have some good notes on this, so I'll let you start out, 
is the big news. I think it was, was it Monday or Sunday? Came across the line as Capital One merging with Discover Financial, going to be a huge merger uh, for over $35 billion. But Ryan, I'll let you lead into it. What are the details here? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I I can't remember which day it was announced, but I just kind of went through my notes on Discover because we recently visited them as a potential investment. We did a not so deep dive, I want to say about five or six months ago, maybe. but yeah, Capital One is agreeing they have agreed to buy Discover Financial Services for more than $35 billion. I believe this is an all-stock deal. Um, I actually did not look specifically enough at the terms. But I just want to go through each of these businesses. Maybe they're not that well followed and kind of think about some of the synergies and potential implications here. So what does Capital One do? Capital One is the ninth largest bank in the country. And from what I understand, they're more of a traditional bank and they have the physical branches and then they're just a major credit card issuer. So they collect deposits primarily from consumers. They lend out mostly through credit card, credit, standard credit card programs where for anyone that doesn't know, it's just uh, you're earning on carried balances. So as the bank, you're collecting interest on carried balances, but for the most part, you're not really going to be hopefully most of your credit card holders are not uh, not often having carried balances because then these can be really rewarding programs, but they have to be managed properly because it can get out of hand if you're not if you don't have the right parameters around it. So anyway, that's Capital One credit card issuer, ninth largest bank in the country. Discover Financial is a bit different. They have two separate but complementary segments to their business. One is digital banking and the second is payment services. So I'll go through each of these real quick. These are from my notes from the previous show. It says, Discover is a digital-only bank with $115 billion in total deposits. That might have gone up since we last looked at it or gone down. It says, the deposits come primarily 65% in the form of uh consumer deposits and they also have like brokered and borrowings and then they take those deposits and lend them out at higher rates pocket the difference the the way discover does that that's what typical banks do right that's the banking model discover does that primarily through credit cards also like capital one credit cards account for 80 percent of discover's loan volume and then the second part here which i didn't really give when we did the show, we talked about Discover Financial. We didn't really give that much value, or I didn't give that much time to the payments network side of things. So beyond banking, Discover also operates its own payments network, similar to that of Visa, MasterCard, American Express. I think those are really the only other three. This means they process and settle transactions made across their various networks. The way you can think about a network, because I've been hung up on this probably for most of my investing life is they help banks communicate with one another. So you're being kind of the arbiter or the middleman between a consumer bank and a merchant bank because there are millions of banks around the globe and you have to process and settle each transaction from the consumer to the merchant and it's really hard for banks to do that on their own. So you have to go through a network. There's basically been four networks that have been developed over time, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and then Discover. So 
in total, Discover has about the same coverage as Visa and MasterCard in the US in terms of like not process transactions, but total locations. It, it's pretty good coverage in the United States. However, internationally, they're nowhere near it. So um, it's the fourth largest payments network. Why would Capital One want to buy Discover? I know I'm going long here, so I'll try to make this quick. Here's a snippet from the Wall Street Journal. It says, buying Discover would allow it to process card transactions on a payment network that isn't controlled by Visa or MasterCard. That could give it a new revenue stream and result in cost savings. They could also potentially have some synergies with the credit card programs. They could start to uh, rebrand some of the cards, but they said they're going to keep most of the Discover branded cards Discover. So I don't think that much will change, but it could potentially take some of the m money that they're constantly paying Visa and MasterCard away and uh, make it their own revenue line and juice it as well because they have so many credit cards of their own. So they're taking this small payments network from Discover and amplifying it because they have all these merchant relations or these banking relations, and they could potentially expand the coverage as well to all of Capital One's partners. The buyout was a 27% premium to the closing price. So congrats to Discover shareholders. I should also mention that there was some executive turmoil at Discover. So it might've been, I don't want to say like a bailout, but uh, they might've been eager to sell. Discover might've been looking for a buyer. We did get a comment though that said, Buffett is a big Capital One investor. There's a secret position that he's been investing in. What are the odds that Buffett had anything to do with this? What are your thoughts? Possibly, but I don't. I wouldn't. Is think that so. really the interesting question, though? Because <laughs> it's just kind of yeah, maybe, but yeah. What if that probably was? He probably got the call. I'm I'm sure if he's a large enough shareholder of this company. Yeah. I'd be very surprised if the secret position was discovered because you can't, he'd be tampering with, that would be a bad right. The right. uh Who do you think wins here? Who do you think loses? Do you think this has any bearings on Visa and MasterCard? Well, if I remember looking at Capital One in their investor presentation, because I knew we were covering this, I read the merger presentation. It seems like, if everything falls away from Visa and MasterCard and goes onto the Discover network and they essentially build a second American Express uh, without, you know, different brands, but essentially build an American Express with a vertically integrated network, it would be a decent hit in the United States. But for Visa and MasterCard internationally, I don't really think it's much to sniff at. These are companies that we're interested in we've talked about covering capital one and maybe that's the next you know one to cover for a stock report going forward i can maybe do that after we do elf beauty which we're recording tomorrow coming out next week we've covered discover covered all the other payments companies my big takeaway is that when reading all this is that american express visa and mastercard have ideal positions in competitively just within the marketplace throughout the entire call they were talking about look it's almost impossible today to build a new payments network at least in the united states maybe it could be possible in a smaller market 
And you have to go to all these merchants. It takes years and years and years. Discover has been the fourth player. They basically have big acceptance, but they haven't made much money on it because they haven't gotten to the scale. And there's Capital One is essentially saying, we're going to merge with this company and spend what? We're going to spend $35 billion. Yeah, they're getting this asset that's already been built. But in order to properly compete with American Express Visa and MasterCard, and then you'd also say someone like Chase with the big credit card business that they have, we're going to need to spend a ton of money. We probably aren't going to win because Visa and MasterCard, yeah, this could be a moat test, but how much confidence do you have in them really seeing any market share losses? I think it also, again, shows to me that American Express has been ahead of the game and people have underrated that in recent years because essentially they're saying American Express is in the ideal position and now we need to merge these two companies to hopefully get there over time. But the concern for me is that these brands are not good. They're fine. Capital One's is okay. Discovers it is not good. The stock's still done well despite that, but maybe at five, seven, six, seven times earnings this works, but Well eh. I would say at the worst case, they may have gotten Discover at sort of a decent bargain. They right, yeah. Cause I remember looking at Discover thinking they're potentially under earning here if they got back to kind of expanded net interest margins and they were in a good spot, they'd be okay. I I don't think it's a bad purchase necessarily. I don't know if I'd buy all the synergies. Like I think that, like you said, they're trying to build a second American Express, but they don't necessarily have the American Express brand, at least in the eyes of consumers. I'd be surprised if this really made a dent in any of the competitors' businesses, especially Visa and MasterCard. At this point, it's just not big enough to affect them, really, the transaction volume. I'd be very surprised. If Visa or MasterCard sold off on this, I think that's probably a wonderful opportunity. I mean, yeah. well, they they have they sell off pr- on this? pretty extreme valuations anyways. I don't think so. I remember looking. I didn't think they did. Yeah, well, everything's up today, but no, nothing happened. I saw some people giving a hot take that like MasterCard and Visa could be affected if they take all the money off of the, the networks, and I don't... Okay, here's a few things. One, people usually have multiple credit cards. I'm guessing two or three, perhaps more, if you try to be really efficient with it or inefficient, and you're, you're bad with it. But you know, people try to get the points, the sign-on bonuses, stuff like that. And even though Discover is accepted everywhere in the United States, similar to American Express, people are always going to want to have a Visa or MasterCard option in their wallet because they they are confident that that's accepted at 100% of places, but there's a lack of confidence from the other two. And I don't... Like, okay, if Capital One goes off of Visa and MasterCard and goes to Discover's network, I think... Now, I'm curious if you disagree with me here. That hurts the Capital One brand. Okay. If you're a consumer looking, if you're a consumer looking to get a Capital One card, yeah, yeah, potentially just lower acceptance internationally. That's kind of tarnishes it a bit, but maybe they can work to revamp that first or, or help expand its coverage. 
But it's I perception. Cap- it's still under the Capital One brand, though. True. Do you- but if you have like, okay, we have our we have our Discover card from Capital One. If I'm a customer, maybe it's misguided, but I think everyone thinks like this. I'm saying, okay, I have my Dis- Capital One card. It's on Discover. I-, I might need to have a Visa card in my wallet too as a backup. Yeah, potentially. Maybe that, maybe that's not a big deal. I, maybe you I could just know. get rid of. You could just call the Discover Network nothing, and you could just have it like an American Express card, where all you see is Capital One. And yeah, like, you know, when you look at an American Express card, I believe it doesn't say anything about the network that it's on. It just says American Express. You could just have Capital One be similar, where they don't even have to think about the other payments network. Yeah. Now, now there are some questions here about whether or not the merger would go through this to me really does not make any sense. Why would, why would we have to block this? Why is it in the consumer's advantage to block this? If you are, first of all, there's a million online banks to choose from, not a million, but there's a lot of banks you can choose from. There's a ton of credit card providers you can choose from. So who are you protecting by Capital One consolidating this, you're protecting Visa and MasterCard, basically, which there is consistently litigation, regulation, whatever, trying to get passed to prevent Visa and MasterCard from continuing to expand their take rate. Why would you want to protect them? I I think, well, I think this should get passed. I don't know if it will, but I don't see how it hurts consumers. I think they could make an argument that it creates a competitive advantage versus bank issuers but in reality i don't think that's the case because there are so many bank issuers of credit cards out there you have the large ones you have your local ones you have the partners with the travel companies they all basically use visa or mastercard unless you're american express and you use yourself yeah, it doesn't seem like there's any anti-competitive stuff going on here, but it is vertical integration, uh, technically. So maybe there would be concerns. If Visa bought Capital One, yeah, that yeah. would be a concern. That's an obvious one. But I think there's a certain senator in the United States, I know we have a lot of international listeners too, that just tweets about every merger like it's evil so I, I don't think we should take that seriously because she just seems to be yelling an old I guess it's not the old man yelling at Cloud old lady yelling at Cloud type deal yeah. it seems unlikely that it would get blocked if anything this is probably better because maybe it'll force MasterCard and Visa to kind of be careful about increasing that take rate but seems unlikely so, anyways, yeah, let's uh, hey, move hey, topics here. Li- yeah, for oh, any listeners, ahead. we were debating uh, internally, which just basically means the two of us, whether we should do an episode on Capital One and the merger, and we we're kind of like, eh, maybe people listen. If you really want to listen to one on that, where we kind of do a full hour-long analysis on the company and the, the, merge, the merger instead of kind of these off-the-cuff things, let us know, and we'll do one. But right now, it's, it's on the table. And you can reach out to us, chitchatmoneypodcast at gmail.com or reach out to us on Twitter. We are Links pretty responsive. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, and we do get a lot of emails. So appreciate everyone that does that. I know Tyler's emailed us a couple times. So 
uh, always appreciate getting that email. Another question here. Did you see match groups press release? Uh, this was kind of hilarious. Yeah. Well, I... Hey, we're, if we're talking about AI demand, this could either get you bullish on AI or NVIDIA or bearish because you could say, well, are these companies going to be doing this in five years? Explain what they did and kind of the unique. It was a, not really funny. It's funny because people Stupid. made fun of them, but yeah, to take us take us through it. Yeah, so Match Group just announced this new press release, and if you click into it, it basically says uh, this did not need to be a press release. It, it basically says they acquired a thousand ChatGPT enterprise accounts. They they're they're paying for a new service that's that was the press release essentially uh the kind of ironic thing is first of all those usually don't require a press release maybe well it was written by chat gpt ryan so that's maybe the joke. you get it funny i guess uh maybe it was required i like maybe it was a term in the partnership if you want to call it a partnership maybe they just said like hey we'll give you a discount if you just drop a press release and whatever. In that case, maybe it's the right thing to do. However, Match Group also bragged on their last conference call about launching dark mode, which it's starting to feel like they're just like announcing it. They think there's more product innovation than what's really going on. Uh, I love, yeah, I love those type of companies that will press release everything. Wix, Wix was like serial press releasers. Oh yeah, they're the kings of that. Stock's actually done well, though, recently. Earnings yeah, are strong. Nice. Earnings are strong. Uh, 140. No big deal. Stock? All right. Yeah, Wix. $140. Really? That is shocking. Yeah, good report. Right. I actually read it. I read it. I get their emails. Solid report. Accelerating growth. It's a great core business, I think. You've got... It's pretty sticky. Because as long as your business itself is not... As long as you want to keep your website up, it's kind of a pain to switch. So as long as websites on the internet continue to grow, I think their influence and their market share among content management systems will also grow. So okay, it's really just chipping away at WordPress. Yeah. They got a good tailwind. Tough thing is, though, management not too good at managing capital, and they are operating in a country that is at war. So it's also a tough one. Uh, add some risk there. Yeah. Back on Match Group. Clearly, people are making fun of this release as they should. Do you think it's a legitimate red flag? I kind of think it's it's fine. They're going to do these things. It's probably what you got to expect. I, not a thesis changer, though. Unless it shows up in the OPEX and they say, well, we actually had to spend $50 million more for these innovative AI licenses. Yeah, then that's really concerning the i don't think it's a red flag i don't think it's a real red flag it's frustrating that they seem to have their eye off the ball a bit like i don't mind gary swidler i think he does a pretty good job as cfo but i just i don't know i worry about the rest of the team we'll see We'll see. Well, Tinder CEO, the Tinder CEO is important. She just got the position. I would love for them to give her more airtime. 
talk about that, see what they're doing there. Yeah, there is a world in which five years from now, we look back at this and I think this is, you could say like, holy smokes, you were getting match group at 10 times cash flow. That's insane because maybe Tinder reaccelerates. There's more adoption to be had abroad. There's, it's not nearly as close to saturation as people thought. Hinge grows even faster. It's got a higher value user base. People are willing to pay more. And then all of a sudden you've got like these two pillars driving this kind of wonderful business and it's a great network effect. But I could also see Tinder potentially going the way of match.com, which that seems to be the bear case right now is that, is this slowly turning into a legacy app? I really hope not, but I don't know. I, I, you can kind of see this is one where I can clearly make the case either way. Yeah. Well, I own it for better Same. or worse. We'll see. We're going to ride. Uh, I think I'm going to ride through it for the next year or so at least, uh, but obviously update every quarter. I forgot the rhyme. We're over halfway through. So why don't you pull up a nice chart and talk about our good friends, your humble employer, finchat.io. I'm going to ask you to pull up the chart because I don't, if, uh, okay. for anyone that knows, I, you maybe hear this on occasion, but I sometimes have to click around to move tabs around and then it kind of sounds annoying. So I don't want to do that, but if Brett's going to pull up any charts, that would be great so that we could see the finchat dashboard, see what the platform is like. Finchat is the complete fundamental research terminal for investors. You get really intuitive and good looking charts. So if you're someone that likes to share charts, I really think the platform is awesome because they have like here, Brett is pulling something up right now and he can pick paying users for match group and it's just really seamless. Uh, they do have segments and KPI. So company specific data like users, like AWS revenue, like how many cigarettes did Altria sell last quarter and the last 12 quarters? Uh, it's a very specific granular data that really no other platform has. And they've got it on over 1,500 stocks. And if you want KPI data for a specific business, just give me a shout and I will pass it along to the data team. And they usually get those up pretty quick. Uh, but yeah, very easy, wonderful platform, very intuitive. And uh, I think it looks pretty sleek. Some some invest uh, kind of uh, investment management platforms like uh, anywhere that you're doing your research, uh, they can be intimidating, a bit of an intimidating interface. I think it's a little easier. So if you want to check it out, finchat.io, if you're interested in any paid plans, finchat.io slash chitchat will get you 25% off. That's finchat.io slash chitchat. I'll leave it there. Actually, I have a question for you. How have okay. you been enjoying the platform? It's good. It's good. Helpful. A lot of, a lot of stuff on the old Twitter X machine. It's helpful for research. Gonna have good for sharing. Quite a few, gonna have quite a few in the Elf Beauty episode that we're recording tomorrow. Stocks up 600% in two years. It's quite the comeback story for them after being after going nowhere. It was a dog. About five. Yeah. Interesting because they're just selling cheap cosmetics to Gen Z and millennial women. But 
they they got TikTok right, so it worked. That seems yeah, to be a huge, what, that, a huge part of the business. That seems to be the takeaway that I have. But do you want to talk Rivian? Yeah, because what happened here? Ryan, this could be yeah, this could be ugly. I think I was talking with Travis. Can never say his last name right? Hoyam. Uh, I think it's how you, yeah, how you say that. Molly Fool Analyst, been on the show before, does asymmetric investing. Nice little YouTube channel over there. He was worried. And I, I was talking to him about it because I, I didn't really follow the company that well, but they were they were already taking, you know, they're, they're at just over 10,000 in production per quarter, and they're already taking some of their initial truck production off the line and going for the SUV for their second product and i was a little concerned about that turns out this might have been a real concern I should say i've never had a position either way in in rivian but the stock is collapsing today it's down 30 percent deliveries are stagnating we see uh q2 2023 12.6 thousand q3 15.5 q4 13.9 basically 14,000 deliveries and they're projecting minimal growth to just 50,000 or no, 57,000 for all of 2024. Gross profit per unit is going in the wrong direction. And we're seeing gross margin at a time when they should be inflecting really high to break even as they ran production. It went from negative 36% in Q3 2023 to negative 46%. Last quarter, they are on a $1.5 billion quarterly free cash flow burn. And they only have about $9 billion in cash left. So maybe one to two years at this current state. Things look pretty bad. Stock's definitely down. I think the market cap's about $10 billion right now. So technically, that enterprise value is quite low. <laughs> if, But no, that's not how you should value this company. My question. Bankruptcy watch? Yeah. Next three years, does Rivian Automotive or this current corporate structure, file for bankruptcy. Do they have any debt right now? Uh, I can check real quick. It's got to be net cash, right? With all the money they raised, I would assume they have a net cash position. The, I think bankruptcy is certainly potential here. I mean, it just goes to show how hard, and Rivian is one of the more successful recent automotive businesses to have been launched, at least relative to some of the other uh, SPACs, if we want to call them that. What was the big yeah. one? Nicola? Okay. Uh, to answer your question, $4.4 billion in long-term debt, so about what, $5 billion net cash, give or take? Yeah, wow. Uh, I think bankruptcy is potential. It, it just goes to show how hard it is to scale an automotive business. Props to Tesla in this regard yeah because they did it they did it a little uh as i'd argue a little uh scam not scammy uh not dangerous they took bigger risks i think a lot of risk in a lot of ways let's say that <laughs> that's probably a good way yeah to and i i really think they were probably one of the biggest beneficiaries of low rates and they had because you look at them at this point and they they're fine they have gotten to a point where their production 
is scaled enough that they can survive for a while. But you go back to 2018, 2019, if they weren't able to raise so much money, which maybe that's more good. That's like props to Elon on his ability to tell a good story. I don't think they'd be where they are today. Not even close. Here's the question though. Is this Rivian report, is it positive for Tesla or negative? Because we're clearly seeing deterioration in demand in the EV market. I think it's been a big trend over the last few quarters. However, we might see it crowding out. I, I, it's probably bittersweet for them because they're definitely facing the same issues at, a, at the moment. But the question is, is the long-term growth there? Well, I'm not sure. I'd say all. I'm not sure. Assuming that like Rivian, this quarter specifically, it's maybe a bit of a red flag, but because Tesla's struggle in demand coincided with this struggle in demand. So it's like pretty much a sign across the board. But if Rivian goes bankrupt, it's, I mean, it's advantage Tesla. That's good for them. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, but, in a vacuum, that's good for them. But yeah, yeah the, <laughs> the Mac, it, it's a telling on them. I think the the entire sector operating environment right now. Yeah. Well, you know what I kind of come back to with Tesla and maybe it's just the fact that I live in Washington and they're like extremely common here because of all the tech employees. It feels like there is less appeal, the more popular they become for me. Like, is there any chance that's happening right now? You know, yeah. that they see there's so many Teslas on the road that there isn't that much attraction to getting a new one. Now, if they could just be the low cost provider, the low price, I think they're probably going to win no matter what. But no, I think it's kind of, I've lost, I've lost my <laughs> love for the brand potentially. Uh, yeah, no, they're the true AI company, Ryan. Don't you understand? Optimus is coming. I think the Cybertruck. Give it a little time, but I'm increasing conviction on that given the reports from users. I don't know why I call everyone users these days, but it seems like because it's, it's if a you look at those, it's, yeah, it's kind drivers. of a bust. It's yeah, the drivers. It seems like that product's kind of a bust, um, and it's not actually workable. Like you got this, you know, stainless steel rusting. Who could have guessed? I don't know any engineer that's taking sophomore year classes. Um, this reminds me though or it brings up been a, maybe a month. I don't know how, maybe time's going slowly. Vision pro. What do you think? Bust or no, I'm leaning flop. towards way flat. I think it's, I think it's almost huge flinch now. Huge. Yeah. I think it's, I agree with you. I don't know what is going on in Silicon Valley that they think people want this. It isn't, there no one wants this <laughs> meta apple whoever else has some vr goggles it's time like i've never had even an inkling to want or to go to a store and buy one of these yeah haven't even you gotta, what, about it. what's apple's user base billion if they gave it May- to me for free i don't know if i'd use it exactly I think that's a so good So why point. am I going to go to the store and spend $3,000 to get it? Yeah. Let's say, does Apple have a billion users? Maybe, 
what would you say? There's 10 million kind of diehards out there. That's probably a good estimate. A lot of bros on the West Coast. Could be more, but yeah. Maybe. Let's say conservative 10 million. There was what? Probably inventory for 500,000 units, I think, on opening, you know, kind of as as we go through this year. So you even have those fanboys. They're all, not all, a lot of them are returning it. So these are the core fans. Like, I think as someone who's... These are the people that you, show up to the events. Yeah, like, it, the smartphone was so good because it so made... It, it basically, nowadays, you have to have it to operate in society. Plane tickets, paying for things, finding uh, dates, listening to music. Even in the early days, entertainment, it was... You, you have to have a smartphone. You don't have to have it, these. So they, it's like, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's it a total bust. Yeah, I totally agree. The And we talk about like paying for plane tickets, basically needing the iPhone today. You didn't need it, but it was still really useful in the early days to have all the different functionality that you're using elsewhere consolidated into one place, right? The phone, the texting the emails, the, which Steve Ballmer said no one will ever use because you can't send an email from an iPhone. It's kind of hilarious. Yeah. Entertainment. Just there was entertainment. Gaming was very popular in the early days. It was basically, you know, they could tack on a Nintendo DS to something that's also usable. It, I thought it was really kind of a, the adoption was clear from the early days as opposed to, I don't see the use case here. When they say that you're getting major headaches, your neck hurts, and that your eyes are like you just stared at a screen for eight hours after 15 minutes, I don't, I, you know, it's classic. It's been the last 30 years of, ah, just wait, next gen, next generation, they'll fix these issues. I don't know if they're fixable, guys. And if it takes a trillion dollars in R&D and CapEx, well, then great as a consumer. That's wonderful. But as a stock, you know. Stock returns are going to be poor. Yeah, and this is nothing against... I like Mark Zuckerberg. I've had some negative takes over the years, and maybe this is the all-time high speaking, but I think, first of all, that that new meme of him is quite hilarious, but I think he's done a pretty good job guiding that company. I think this is a misguided bet, but he's done such a good job with a family of apps that I kind of shrug my shoulders, and it seems like he's... For them, it's worth the bet. For Apple, I don't see why it's worth the bet. Never bet against Meta is we have a comment here. Or never bet against Zuck Long Meta. That could be true, but I would. you should remember, what was that crypto coin they were trying to pump in like 2018? Oh, it's not it Lima. Was... It's not, that's the city in Peru. It's, it was something it started, like that. It started with an L. You can't remember it. I mean, I bet it, I bet against them on it that. Was, and it, it was a collection was, of companies, right? No, no. It was, well, Ryan, you're forgetting 2018 speak. It was a protocol, and companies were joining, and it was going to be the. It's not Meta. They were no. calling themselves Meta at the time. Do you remember this coin, Facebook's cryptocurrency? I'm gonna look it up. Facebook's maybe there was also one that was like three different businesses trying to launch something. And it was three oh. pretty high. It was like Chase oh, or JP there. Morgan. Yeah, maybe. Luna. That might have no. been different. No, it was Luna. Libra. It was Libra. Libra. 
It was a permissioned blockchain-based stablecoin payment system proposed by Facebook. Now it's called Diem. D-I-E-M. And it was a total flop. So stock can work, but you can also say that not everything a company does is smart. Expected to work, yeah. The Okay. I posted a list this week of eight businesses with big network effects. There were some comments too on companies that I was missing, but who, my question to you, who do you think has done the best job in this case, screwing up their network effect? Uh, okay. That's harder than I thought. I thought you were going to ask there for me, to be honest. I would say like, here's the thing. Venmo's network effect is still strong. For anyone that doesn't know, it's a subsidiary. I mean, pay- the, pay- the core PayPal. PayPal but is the, They've done the it. transfers. They've worked as, they have worked as hard as possible to throw Venmo. It's, they have done nothing. It's, it happens. <laughs> so, I mean, but they terrible. haven't done yeah, yeah, I still use slow, it. But I use it all the time. Yeah. Great network effect. But I think the core, tr- like the money transfer, PayPal, sending money to other people, yes. that was a wonderful network effect. And their simple unwillingness to drop take rates has just attracted competitors unlike anything. Like you've seen the money transfer business has really just – that industry has erupted over the last decade because people are trying to get into it because PayPal, frankly, takes a ridiculous fee. So I don't know. Maybe that's me griping as a customer, but it seems like that is a clear network effect that has they have invited competition. I don't know if they screwed it up, but they invited competition. They definitely sell a lot of self-inflicted wounds there. Another one used to be the owner of PayPal ebay oh yeah that was a big network effect too i like how you put etsy in these eight ones why does etsy always get tossed in there (laughs) i don't think it's like we got the best companies in the world and then etsy it makes sense it makes sense though it's developing potentially i think that is a business that you've got unique selection now Part of the problem is they've strayed a little bit away from the unique selection, but they've just really grown their active sellers because I think it's a like it's a differentiated marketplace where you can get unique items, and that to me makes it feel like more of a sustainable network effect. But they just can't really tamper with that. They don't want to start getting like commoditized stuff. U-Haul. That's another network effect that I didn't talk about. Someone just commented that. He says, U-Haul, while not screwing up their network, can be way more aggressive in their pricing for rentals. No one moves and thinks, I'm going to get a Penske to move. Yeah, potentially. People do go to U-Haul first. That is kind of the known brand. But I think – I don't think it – people look up like – Moving trucks yeah. near me. That'd be nice. Little, yeah, I could see an easy Google advertisement on that where you see that U-Haul is really expensive. You go, wait, wait, wait. Let me look up an alternative. And that's easy Google. Like, but U-Haul they alternative. Are the most... that, think about the sponsor, how much <laughs> yeah. that sponsor listing is for U-Haul alternative. That's, that's got to be quite a nice advertisement there. Yeah. The 
it is the known brand and because you have to have those nodes in so many different cities it i think is valuable in that way where you can pick up your u-haul in seattle but you can drop it off anywhere when you move that's big but uh i guess i don't know the industry well enough i'd be surprised if there were other moving businesses that weren't similar in terms of places you could drop them off and having that kind of different node model. Okay. You have Etsy as an underrated network effect. I think the marketplaces, people got marketplace happy a couple of years ago. I think maybe that pandemic had something to do with it. Etsy's is fairly strong, although their GMV, I just looked it up. KPIs on old FinChat there has, uh, has sta- uh, stagnated since 2021. Maybe they'll fix that, and maybe that was just the COVID bump, and they're actually, you know, kind of the underlying growth is growing. But it is kind of funny that they had an actual surge in GMV from masks. Yeah, that that's what's potentially hurting them as we comp that period. Yeah, it is interesting. Remember when things like ThreadUp, Poshmark were getting pitched as the next network effects? Like, just wait—they're building the marketplace, man. What's your? Uh, most- I was a believer in Poshmark for a while. Hey, they got bought out. You would have been right, technically. Um, yeah, I was. I was a believer when they were like net cash. Yeah, or they were trading trading below net cash or something like that. What's the most? We'll wrap up here soon. What's the most underrated network effect? You had a lot of you know responses mm-hmm. there. I'm assuming that's tough. Well. Uh, Upslope Capital mentioned some of the financials businesses, like the exchanges. The CME was one. Anywhere where you need, I think especially with the bond exchanges, like you need someone on the other side. And so the places that have the most uh, the most buyers are going to be such high value. So market access. People don't really, yeah, market access. That's one. People don't really talk about those ones. I like those. What if I what if I propose that Visa and Mastercard are the most underrated network effect just because it's way way better than people think? Whatever, I guess. The but it's, it's not, like uh, yeah, it is it's like when someone says Tiger Woods is underrated. That is an impregnable network effect, probably the most unstoppable network effect. Because you've had everyone try to stop it, right? Like, like the governments have tried to build their own. Yeah, China uh, and India consolidation yeah. from like Capital One here. I'd be very surprised if anything disrupts them. So, yeah, I guess you could say it's underrated. But I think when people think network effect, Visa and Mastercard are probably the first two that come to mind. Yeah. Okay. Let's get some comments, and then we'll wrap things up. Okay, we had the U-Haul one, railroads and cell towers were the original networks. I guess that's, yeah, fits. Carvana, I'll say TBD on that one. Uh, although how is, that a, back, how is that a network effect? I think buyers and sellers in the marketplace. Right, right, okay. Uh, we got ICE, not the government the agency. Exchange. New York <laughs> Stock Exchange. Moody's, yeah. FICO. FICO's a good one, although I think, it, yeah. There's a lot of network effect is not the first that is not the first competitive advantage that comes to mind for me when I look at like Moody's and FICO. Yeah, I think that's more brand slash social proof slash reputation 
Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap up. Thank you for everyone that joined. As a reminder, we do these live on YouTube, 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, but you can listen to it on your podcast player of choice. If you liked this episode, and if you're listening now, I think you liked it because you're an hour in at this point, give us a five-star review on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify or follow the show on YouTube. It is the best way to say thank you and support these free episodes. Also, subscribe to our newsletter called Chit Chat Stocks and get all sorts of updates on the show we've had recently on the newsletter follow-up questions with our friend lou whiteman uh, on the show on boeing that came out yesterday or earlier this week if you're on the podcast now let me hit the disclosure uh, we are not financial advisors anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation ryan i or any podcast guest may hold securities discussed in this podcast we may have held them in the past and we may buy sell or hold any of these stocks in the future thank you everyone for tuning in and we'll see you next week